there, lads and lassies. This is your friend, a townsperson. Yes, I live in Ferness, Scotland, and was part of last week's film, Local Hero. It's quite a time, wasn't it? It was an exciting story. Not a lot happens in Ferness, and when this big-time American came to visit our town, well, we were all a bit of a Twitter. It was quite a, it was quite an experience. We learned about uh, we learned about cocaine. We learned about uh, other American things such as grilled cheese sandwiches. It was fascinating, and I'm glad that uh, Mr. American came to visit us in the town. It was a good time. I'm still not real happy because the payment I was going to get got substantially reduced when they decided not to build a fucking oil rig and instead build some fucking marine research facility. I can't live on a thousand pounds, can I? That's just like a year's worth of, uh, of haggis. You can't, you can't get haggis for under a thousand a year this time. Jerry, Jerry. Aye, this is bullshit and fuck you for inviting me here and getting me all worked up. Jerry, get him out of here. Get him out of here, Jerry. Yeah, okay, come on, sir. You gotta go. Fuck you! I'll just show myself out. I've been kicked out of battle places and that's... You fucking cunts. There's no need for that language, sir. Fuck you! Does he go to the Nigel Hawthorne school of introducing people? Yeah, I'd say he does. Holy moly! Jason, you need to stop... (laughs) I mean... I, I, I love that you love your family, but you don't need to bring them on as, uh, you know, introducers. <laughs> but, uh... Just old, old uncle townsperson. I mean, he didn't even introduce what we do here, but I will introduce what we do here. We are a podcast. We are. And I am Brendan. And I'm Jason. And this is called Full Screen. And Country. And on this podcast, Jason... We talk about the movies on the British Film Institute Top 100 British Films of All Time. Yes, we do. Uh, as curated in the year 1999, the year of our Lord. Uh, our Lord I'm referring to is, of course, the Lord Ganesh. <laughs> we and, love his many arms. Yes. And this week, we're talking about uh, a very a film that is very high up on our list. We're talking about number eight, which is Don't Look Now. But Don't Look Now! Oh! Because we have to talk a little bit about local hero. Yes. There's a hero. He's local. And a place where that local hero lives. West Virginia? I was trying to sing the Littlest Hobo oh, theme. I thought you were trying you to sing. You ruined it. Country roads. You ruined it. Ruined it. Ruined it. Hashtag ruined it. Lerve it, ruined it. <laughs> Oh, Jason, yes, Local Hero. We talked about it last week. Yeah. We, we talked about the film at length. We did. Over an hour. It was a good movie. It was a good movie. Yeah. Uh, there's some comments. Well, what do they from think? The folks. Well, first of all, this is... I actually just want to play a little clip from one of the comments. Because oh. from William Lord, he says... Uh, here's a little clip of uh, Mark Knopfler actually playing the Local Hero theme live in 1997.
Now, that's a nice piece of music, Brendan, but I feel like that's the point in the concert where everybody went to the bathroom. Well, I think it was uh, kind of an interlude thing. Yeah. Where I think this, you know, you know, a lot of concerts, they'll play a song, and then instead of just stopping and then starting up again, they'll do like a little in-between to get into the next song. I feel like that might be what this is. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I feel like fans of Local Hero were happy. They probably were. The but, ones in but, attendance. But everybody else was just waiting for him to kick in on Money for Nothing, and they knew they had to wait for the end or the encore to hear that one. Money for nothing. And the chicks for free. It's not appropriate for 2019. <laughs> uh, Brett, Brett Sonnenschein says, I love this movie. The ending still makes me tear up. Hmm. It is a pretty, it's kind of a devastating ending if you look at it one way, because he's gone back to the city, you know, Peter Rygert, Boone, has gone back to the city, and, you know, he's gone back to the humdrum life. Wouldn't it be cool if Peter Rygert did a sequel to it, though? Like, if he went back to Furness all these years later to see who's still alive? I bet you Wedge is still there. Yes, but the question is, is Biggs? Mmm, no. He died. <laughs> so, Kent Hole. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Might be Hall. Halle. Oh, Halle. Uh, this is the this is a little tidbit. This is Hale. the movie. Kent Hale. There, very good. I think it's much like Harry Hole in the Snowman. Ah, yes. Uh, he says this is the movie that the Mads on MST3K were gonna let Joel and the bots watch if they won a competition with them. Instead, they were forced to watch Monster a Go Go. Of course. <laughs> I know that funny. little bit of trivia. That's interesting. <laughs> That's neat. That's awesome. Uh, what about Tom Cadley? Tom Cadley with an H says this is my favorite movie. Full stop. So many memorable little scenes, great cast, and lovely soundtrack. I own the DVD and watch it regularly. There you go. I feel like out of all the movies we've uh, we've watched, it's definitely one you could put in the rewatchability category. This is definitely a movie I would sit my parents down and say, "Let's watch this." Yeah, but like you know, some of the ones we've watched, like you know, this Sporting Life, I don't know that I'll ever watch that again. No. Nothing against it; it no. was a good movie. But it's just some, some some of those movies you're like, you know, I got it the first time. I don't yeah. I don't don't think I need to see it again. Yeah. Exactly. I feel like we're going to see a lot of those types of movies over the course of this list, and we already have seen them, English patient. <laughs> uh, Eric Van Dussen says... Which is a wonderful Prussian-sounding name. I admire Casablanca, Citizen Kane, Vertigo, and all the predictable rest, but Local Hero is my favorite film. It's sly and beautiful and treats its characters like humans, even those that might be mermaids. Uh, it'd be gorgeous to watch even with the sound off, but then you'd miss Knopfler's haunting score. I should watch it again today. Yeah, Eric, go ahead. Yeah, today. Today, right now. Today is the day you posted this, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is. I, I really like the music, though, so I think it'd be, it would take away from it if I couldn't hear the music. Yeah. Uh, Mark Doffler, Dire Straits, by the album. Sultans of Swing. Oh, he does that, too? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, Adam Pellman just says, great movie, completely endearing. Ian Davis pointed out something you kind of mentioned is, uh, love this movie despite the weird therapist thing. Yeah, it's a strange subplot. <laughs> I love it. But it's fun. <laughs> I love it. I don't know why. It's just <laughs> weird. Um, and Leslie Finer says, I love everything about this movie, including the music, which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, Richard Marriott, however, has not seen this movie. He says, I've never seen or heard of this movie, but I thank you for introducing it. I will definitely give it a watch. Well, check it out, dick. <laughs> if I can call you dick. Yeah. Ch Mr. Marriott? You're welcome. I suggest showing it in your hotels, Mr. Marriott. Good one. He never hears that, I bet. In your hotel, the Holiday Inn. That's right. Uh, Hank Lugin says... Hank Lugin says, This movie does deliver. I need to rewatch it again. Another quirky movie that delivers? My favorite year with Peter O'Toole. Yeah, that's a movie I've always wanted to see. So you never seen... I knew you're a Peter O'Toole fan. I do like Peter O'Toole, but I've not seen my favorite year. You know what he calls his genitalia? His favorite 
You're Pete, Peter's old tool. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Dirk Bender, which is a great name. That is an awesome I name. hope it's real. Uh, last time I saw this was 1998. Okay. Hospitalized with a weird freak thing for a week. Wasn't emotionally prepared for how devastating that ending really was, even though I'd seen it at least three times before. Just sobbed uncontrollably. I guess I'm ready to watch it again. A lot of people are, like, excited to watch it again yeah. after you're like, oh, Local Heroes a thing. It's like we reminded them this movie existed. We put it in the ether. Michael Mungan says, charming and very human movie, but underseen these days. Agreed. Happily surprised to read so many people love this movie. I really like how well it explores its, quote, modern living is disconnecting us themes. More relevant than ever today, that's what I'm saying. Uh, with so little cynicism and so much regard for the characters. Yeah, I mean, this movie so easily could have been a way to shit on hicks that live in northern Scotland. Or, it could have been a way to just make fun of, like, like rich people from the yep. States and oil people. But it actually is a lovely movie with so... Like, all the characters are humans. It's balanced. Yeah. yeah, it's human, exactly. It's fair, and it's balanced. Nobody seems like a crazy stereotype. No. And I think that's maybe why a lot of people say the therapist thing sticks out, because it's so it's such a weird thing. Yeah. But I just think it fits with the whole quirky, weird tone of the movie. And I, if I, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but we do not see a single kilt or bagpipe in this movie. Correct. Yeah. I, don't, I think you are right. I think we hear, like, some mute, some... Typically Scottish music. Yeah, a little, but, with some Celtic flavor, certainly. But nothing like, yeah, nothing that crazy. Um, uh, Sean Williams Holt, who is a frequent commenter, says, Underappreciated master of his craft, Burt Lancaster? Check. Mm -hmm. Mark Knopfler score? Check. Why not? A great movie nobody's ever heard of? Check again. Damn straight. A hidden gem of a little picture, that going home theme by Knopfler, which we heard at the beginning there, is a personal jam of mine. Hmm. One of the best endings of a movie you'll ever see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a pretty pop. Okay, now I want to read you the only, the, the closest thing to a negative comment, okay, Jason? All right, I'm bracing for myself. Okay, get ready. Whew. Hold on to your skivvies. John Taylor says, I like it, but I think comfort and joy is even better. Hmm. Dun, dun, dun. The gauntlet has been thrown down. Comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. The Lord has come. He did. So with all those comments being uh, being said, all those comments we read and that were said. All those comments being said out loud into this microphone right now. That's very meta. We have one more thing to do, Jason. We are going to look at the American Film Institute Top 100 and compare number 37 on that list with Local Hero, which was also 37 on the BFI. Go ahead, make your clerks. Switch. If it's not clerks, I'm going to be very sad. <laughs> clerks is not on either Damn list. Damn it! Uh, 37 on the American Film Institute is 1946's The Best Years of Our Lives. Huh. I have... It sounds familiar, but who's in it? It has a man uh, playing a veteran who was not an actor. And he had a hook for a hand. Oh! Harold Russell. Okay. No, I was thinking Jane of Audie Murphy, Fonda. but Audie Murphy didn't have a, ha I think a hook Jane for Fonda. a hand. I think Jane Fonda's in it, too. Oh. I could be... Com guys, <laughs> I could be completely wrong about that. But anyway, yeah. Um, that's a movie... That's a movie I've not seen in a long time. A long time. A.K.A. never. Yeah. So, I'm going to give it to Local Hero with a landslide. And I also just want to say I was completely wrong. Jane Fonda is not in that 1946 movie. She might be a bit young. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say Local Hero because I've never seen the best years of our lives. But I'm hoping to. So you may. That's a, a win for the British. British win again. We haven't been keeping track of this, by the way. I would have loved to give a final score at the end. But <laughs> maybe somebody that's listening 
Well, 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 maybe we could do an episode where we just go through and, and we compare and we contrast. Maybe at the end. Sure, yeah. At the very end, we'll find out who won as the a battle. Po- as a, post, a post-podcast uh, 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 reunion episode. The battle of... Yes, yeah, so we'll get all the original cast back. That's right. You and me. And the Queen Mother and Alec Guinness. Yes, and the mausoleum behind us. It's weird. It's lucky that we live there. You know what, Jason? We need to get cracking. We need All to right. get cracking. We need to st- we need to talk about this week's film. Don't look now. I'm not looking. Yes, so that's right. Number eight, like I said, Don't Look Now, directed by Nicholas Rogue, mm-hmm. who we will see again, I believe, once on this list, uh, starring Donald Sutherland as John, Julie Christie, mm-hmm. our favorite, yes, indeed, as his wife, Laura, and we have Hilary Mason as Heather and Clelia Matania as her sister, Wendy. Wow. Playing the, the well, you know, the sisters, the sisters that we will encounter. As and I, that's, all, that's the only people I want to list, because yeah. everyone has crazy Italian names that no one will know. But Jason, this is also our first horror, or at least thriller, yeah, mystery yeah. type movie. I don't know if I call it outright horror, but it's certainly unsettling. There are parts that are kind of terrifying. Yeah, they're so scary. what happens in Don't Look Now? John and Laura Baxter are an ideal couple. Two kids, house... I want you to read like the movie trailer guy. Yep. Yeah. Two kids, a house, and John has a good job. But tragedy strikes when their daughter Christine falls into the pond. Despite a sort of premonition on John's part, and he rushes to rescue the girl, the girl does not survive. It's a very intense scene and, and very sad uh, as he screams as he pulls her out of the water. And it very quickly establishes the editing style of this yeah, film. Yeah, there's a lot of like a lot of intense music, some quick flashes here and there. Some flash forwards, some flashbacks, yeah. some cuts. Some... John's staring at some pictures of a church and he sees a red figure in there and flashes and realizes that something's wrong with his daughter and then he runs out and there she is. Yep. In her little red Mac. Which, um, this actually brings me, uh, I know this is early, yeah. but it brings me to the first clip because sure. it's the first thing I want to point out is the sound design in this movie. It's, uh, so as he finds his daughter, we Julie, Julie Christie comes outside, starts screaming, and I just want to play a little bit of that transition. Uh, from her scream to the next scene, and also with a little bit of the background music while they're speaking in Italian, which, by the way, we don't get subtitles in this movie yeah. whenever they're speaking a different no. language. So I just want to like play that quick, uh, quick little transition, and then you'll hear some of the unsettling music in the background too. Tutto è macho. Pietra è come tabacco. Scavo ancora? No, no, è tardi. Andiamo via. Mia moglie mi aspetta al ristorante. Ci vediamo domani a San Nicolò. Sì, domani, sì. From a scream to a drill. Was that was no, that in the that original was... soundtrack? No. Oh. 
Uh, no, what I love, obviously the scream into the drill was a really good transition, but yeah. then also like right away, it sounds like you're getting like funeral bells. Yeah. It's like a- it's church bells, but it sounds very like dreary mm-hmm. and you're getting that like that that machinery noise in the background too it's all very like um, yeah exactly it's that all just throws unsettling you. sounds that david lynch it i'm all, sure was proud of it all sounds very mechanical yeah yeah so let's see here so uh, flash ahead it's been uh, after the scream and the drill we realize that it's been at least a few months now since christine's yeah death. i would say uh and they also had a son too by the way they also have a son too the son uh, we later learn is is currently in boarding school Mm -hmm. uh while they are in venice in italy yes to uh well john is restores churches i'm not gonna think he seems to be an architect and he helps restore churches and so he's helping to restore this church he's overseeing it they're living there they're you know dealing with their grief but they're still you know they're not totally over it no definitely not really to be fair no parent will be totally over their child's death and i mean we'll definitely get into it more as we go on Mm -hmm. but this movie is first and foremost about dealing with grief yes absolutely and so they go to dinner and uh they uh laura has a chance meeting with with a lady named wendy and it comes about uh was it um John gets up to open to close the window or something, and then the door blows open, and a bunch of dust comes in, and it gets in Wendy's eye, and she runs to the bathroom with her sister, and Laura runs after them to give her a hand because she's just that nice a girl. Yeah. And in the bathroom, she meets Wendy and her sister uh, Heather. Heather is blind, and while she's there helping Wendy clean her eye out, Heather tells her that she can see her daughter Christine, and that she's happy and that she's playing. And yeah, she and that just, she was like between them. That she was the between, table. she's right here right now. Yeah. You know, she's right here by you. That she's fine, she's happy. And this, like, you know, what Laura's shocked, I think, because she doesn't expect this. She's shocked that she's talking about her daughter, shocked that she knows anything about it, and that she's then saying that she's happy and she's here right now. Like, that's a lot for um, you know, mother of a dead child to take, I imagine. Especially when the recently. wound is still so raw. Yeah. She goes back out to the table to see John, and in doing so collapses passes out just knocks the table over and everything so they get her up take her to the hospital in the hospital she's fine uh she's you know a little bumped up but she's not hurt or anything and she tells john that she's just she feels so great because this woman told her that that christine is okay and that she's here with us right now john she's here right now and what i think is interesting because this movie is full of misdirects yeah Almost at every turn. And I think this is one of the first of many. Mm. And that you think Laura, like Julie Christie will say Laura, is not dealing with her grief well. Mm. But in fact, it's the opposite. Yeah. It's actually, she's the one dealing with it, whereas John is not really she, uh, acknowledging yeah, it. Yeah, no, he, yeah, she's come to, she's found a way to kind of come to terms with it through Heather. And, and, right. and that makes her feel better. It makes her feel better that, you know, she is past. Yeah. And she even says, yes, I know she's past. But she feels like she's in a better place, yeah. and I know it's okay. And John, of course, is skeptical of this, obviously. As but, anyone would But be. he's also happy to see her happy. Right. Because it's been a while since she's, you know, had been like that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I like I think, you know what, I don't have... Okay, I, full disclosure, I don't have that many clips, because mm-hmm. a lot of this movie is very visual. Yeah. But I do want to play uh, a clip of... Uh, so after Laura faints, and she's in the hospital when John visits her, because they kind of talk about this, and... Um, uh, but what the what the sisters said. Mm-hmm. There's nothing but children out there. She's the nearest hospital. Hi, Jim. I'm playing with them all afternoon. I talked to the doctor. He said, John, Christine is still with us. Christine is dead, Laura. No. Christine is dead. Of course, of course. I know, but 
You know the, the, the two ladies in the restaurant? Well, they were watching us while we were eating. They kept staring at us. They told me this because they could see sitting between us. They could see Christine sitting between us. This is two people who we don't even know. This, listen, listen now. The, the, there's, there's one who's blind. She's the one that can, can see. She's the one that has the second sight. And she, she's blind. She described to me Christine's red plastic Mac. John, Laura. listen, I'm perfectly all right. In fact, I haven't felt as good as this in months and months. I feel really fine. I don't need pills. I'm not going crazy. I feel really great. When did the doctor say you could leave? Oh, any time. And he fainted. John, I wish you'd believe me. I really feel fine. I really feel good at last. I feel fine. I believe you. Seeing is believing. I believe you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's the first uh, first thing indication you get that maybe you're kind of doubting Laura, yeah. but we should be doubting John. Yeah, yeah. So on the way home, they stop by a church. She's in. She's so over the moon and feeling good. She goes in and wants to light a candle to remember her child, and she ends up having to light six because she only has enough. She only has like the change to to get six of the candles, so she lights six candles, and one of them blows out as she walks out. I didn't notice that. Yeah, it's like she puts them down and they kind of looks at the candles and then there's like a little gust of wind and they all blow, but so, one, only one of them goes out. So is that a, a sort of, maybe that's a small thing that's like there's something there. Maybe. Yeah. It could very well be. There's something going on. And then, did you know that the, when he when they go into the church and he says something about how he doesn't like the way the church looks? Yeah. Do you know why he says that? Why? That's based on a real conversation when they entered the church uh, set, yeah. that Donald Sutherland looked at Julie Christie and he's like, I don't like this church set. And she said, oh, don't be silly. And the director heard that and was like, let's put it in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds real. Yeah. So he actually didn't like the set. Well, and, and speaking like that, that dialogue sounded very real. Yeah. Like that, that Julie Christie. Donald Sutherland has a bit it. of a notori no, uh, notoriety being a little difficult to work with. Mm -hmm. So anyway, take that. Sounded very real. Uh, and then, and then after we light the candles, they go home and then, oh goodness, Brendan, some sex is had. Some, some animal sex is had. One of the most realistic sex yeah, scenes. Pretty realistic. Honestly, because we, it's not, it's not particularly sexy. Hmm. But it feels like a real couple intense, having yeah. sex. And what's interesting about it is we're we're hitting that theme of precognition mm. of psych of psychic abilities because we we're cutting between them having sex and them getting dressed after yeah. they've had sex. And it's all almost going back to the whole thing where we're gonna get this idea that, you know, um uh, John is having these psychic visions, but he doesn't know what to do with them. Yeah, and that's I think the movie like thematically suggesting that at the same time. He's banging this girl and seeing his girl, his wife. He's banging this, banging this wife, banging this random chick who we married. He's seeing, he's seeing flashes of what happens afterwards, which is weird. You know, you're having sex and you're right in the moment, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're getting dressed. Like what? That would throw me off. But I think I don't know if he's seeing that or if that's the movie's way of telling us like. I don't know. They're messing with reality this whole movie, I think. But uh, we see a lot of Julie Christie. We see a lot of Donald Sutherland. Oh. He has very good skin in the 70s, Donald Sutherland. Very smooth. He has a big uh, has a big old butt. Big old butt, yeah. And uh, she has her... We see her boobies. Yep. Much and like we just, did for a brief moment in Darling. And a just a tad of bush. Yep. No wiener. Bit. No wiener, though. Well, there's a little bit. You can kind of see the edge of it if you look the, close. The shadow of his gallow. If you, if you pause and zoom in, you can kind of see just a little bit of it. All right, Mr. Skin. 
So the dinner after the fucking... Uh... Not only that, but as they leave after they've had sex, the guy at the hotel is like, oh, you're not going to stay here? And he's like, no, we're going to go eat out. Yeah. And I'm like, eh? uh, uh, Yeah, baby, yeah. So they go, they have their dinner, and they leave the restaurant, and they're walking, and they briefly get separated in the streets. And this is when um, John first catches a glimpse of a red-clad figure. Yes. A small figure resembling a child clad in a red Mac, similar to that that his daughter wore on the day she died running through the streets of Venice. Yep, and it's not clear at that time either that both of them have seen it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and if we remember from earlier in the movie too, John sees a red-clad figure in the uh, picture from the church that he is studying right at the beginning of the film. Uh, the next day, Laura attends a seance with the sisters. Uh, Heather tells her that John is in danger if they stay in Venice. And, and she invites John, actually, to go with her to the seance, and he doesn't want to. He doesn't want anything to do with that. doesn't want anything to do with Can that. Can I ask you a question before we before she goes to the seance? Did, it, did the movie throw you for a second? Because before she goes there, the two sisters are setting up the room, hmm. and they're putting the photos down, and there's just a quick cut where you see them laughing. Yeah. Almost like, we got her. Yeah. And it's like, for a second, like, it's been such a long time since I had seen this movie. Yeah. This is the second time I think I've seen it. And actually, for a second, I was like, oh, are they playing her? Yeah. Like, is this all just a hoax? Did I you think confu- that at all? I, w- I didn't think that. I was just confused by this random bit of laughter. And, and I, th- I think that's just one of the many misdirections. I just thought it was like, okay, this movie's creepy. So, yeah, two these two ladies are creepy. What's going to happen it, now? It reminds me of, um, I mean, you like David Lynch. Yes. Uh, you've seen Mulholland Drive? I have. It reminds me of the scene in Mulholland Drive when Naomi Watts gets dropped off by the two elderly people. Yeah. And we cut back to the elderly people in the car and they have these weird grins on their face for like way too long mm-hmm. and they just stare ahead and they're just like, you know, grinning like with their teeth and everything. It just reminds me of that. Like yeah. it's just weird. It's just weird to be unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. It's just intense over the top. Uh, so they, so she goes to the seance and they tell her that, that John's in danger. John didn't want to go, but then he decides, you know what? Maybe I should just go fucking break this up because this is ridiculous. And so he goes to their apartment building, trying to find them and gets chased out of the building by other tenants who think that he's a pervert. Yeah. (laughs) I think he's trying to like, by the way, the first person that sees him and thinks he's a pervert is wearing all red. Oh, I did not, did not put that together. Yes. He's wearing like a red smoking jacket. Yeah, Absolutely. The repeated theme the repeated images of red and water mm. i think come back yes. a lot yes water right at the beginning of the movie and then all throughout yeah well i mean they're li- venice it's like a yeah venice is on canal on the water it's yeah water. you have to get in a boat if you want to go anywhere pretty which much. by the way i want to say too this is like the most beautiful i think way to show venice yeah like, it's really is, cool it's, getting a sense I, of it at the ground level i love it because it's so different from everything mm. else we've watched like I mean, everything I played Assassin's Creed too, but uh, not everybody has, and this is a good way to experience Venice. It's great to see a movie that's not so landlocked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> these, these anti-ocean movies. Yeah, fuck you, uh, room at the top. And all it took was George Clooney to revolutionize the world for that reason. George Clooney. Yeah, yeah, he made the first pro-ocean movie, Ocean's Eleven. Oh, get out of the building! Now, yes, I know that was a remake of the uh, '50s movie, but that wasn't about bodies of water. Oh, Jesus. All right, so, uh, yeah, so they they finally do meet up, though. And and Laura, and Laura tells him about what they said, that he was in danger and he needed to get out of the city. And he just isn't having any of it. He, like, has to basically tell her to knock this shit off. Their daughter is dead. Yes. Get over it. She's it, dead. It, it leads to this conversation where Laura is like, 
I want to talk about it after because I want to say I want to see if you think she's being legitimate mm-hmm. or if she's doing this to get them to to get him to agree to like get away from Venice okay. for a bit. So I'll just play this clip. If I'm ill, I should be seeing Dr. Jameson. Yeah. Maybe I am. Maybe I left England too soon or something. Maybe, maybe those women were influencing me. Maybe, sh- maybe I shouldn't see them again. That's what you want, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe I should start taking my pills again. On the desk, right there. There. Here. Here. Yeah, what, 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 you, you could get about a couple of weeks or so off, couldn't you? Yeah. Could you? Yes. Do you really think you could, John? So yeah, like, do you think she is doing that to get him to kind of like... Because she thinks he really is doomed. She mm. believes it. Yeah. Do you think she's trying to get him to believe it by going, Oh, maybe I am sa- sick. Oh, I'm so stressed. Maybe we should just both get away. I mean, that's certainly a possibility. I mean, Or, yeah, or do you think, like, it's le- like legitimate? She, I think it is her kind of testing the waters to see if she could figure out a way to get him out of Venice because mm-hmm. she I think she's seen enough from those women that she clearly believes that they that Heather has some sort of sight uh, and, and a second sight a second sight if you will and yeah and I think at this point she loves John enough that yeah she wants to get him out but what happens to immediately after that uh, immediately after they that, receive a, a phone, phone call. call they yes. receive a phone call almost serendipitous and it informs them that their son has been injured at boarding school he bumped his head uh, burned his face or something not nothing hugely uh, uh, not like he's not in danger of dying or anything, but he was hurt, and so they let him let him know. And Laura insists on flying back to England and wants John to come with her because this is a good opportunity to get him out of Venice. But he doesn't want to go. He's one of, wants to finish his work. He's he got, says, "I'll be I'll be there by the weekend." Yeah, exactly. I've got I got some mosaic. I got to check out. I need to see if it's good. You go to England. I'll be there by the weekend. Yeah. Um, so, but. Stays. He works on the church. He goes back to the church. He's he climbs up on the scaffolding to check uh, uh, mosaic because uh, they had gotten some of the little beads for the mosaic and they needed to replace them. And he's checking one, and all of a sudden the rope snaps, and the whole fucking uh, uh, rig he's on goes sideways, and he's hanging from it. And everybody's trying to get him in, and it's a very intense scene uh, where he almost falls, but they manage to to basically push him out far enough with a stick and get him to come back in, or able to grab him and pull him off the scaffolding. By the way. Donald Sutherland doing his own stunt. Oh, really? Wow. Because the stunt person refused to do it. Too dangerous. Too dangerous. <laughs> so Donald Sutherland was like, fuck it, I'll do it. Wow. And that, I mean, he's pretty high up above the church floor. Like, yeah. That could have gone real bad. Yep. Um, but, yeah, so once, 
so we did mention like the priest character, but the, the yeah. priest character is someone he's always talking with about the church, about building the church. Yeah, I just and that priest character I wanted to mention because he has a line that I laughed at that I really enjoyed. Let me see if I can pull it up here. Uh, well, I did like the line about Donald Sutherland saying that the priest didn't give an ecclesiastical fuck about the church. Yeah, that was a good line too. Yeah, he doesn't give an ecclesiastical fuck about the church. Yeah, no, the, where, where the priest is talking about something, they're talking about prophecy, and he yes. says, uh, he he says, I wish I didn't have to believe in prophecy. But I do, because I'm a priest, and that's what we do. Yeah, <laughs> I love the idea of a priest like, well, you know, I wish I didn't have to believe in this bullshit, but, I mean, I'm a priest, I have to, right? It's kind <laughs> of the most realistic line yeah, in the movie. exactly. <laughs> um, but right after he has that near-death experience, we see a total death experience. Yes, yes, not him. Not him, but there is a murderer, and this is... At first, when I watched this, I was like, oh, this is just getting introduced now, but it's actually introduced quite early yeah, in the they movie. Yeah, men it's mentioned offhandedly a couple times yes. that there's a serial murderer there's going around Venice. Killing uh, various, like, Captain Crunch, Alphabets... Yes, uh, yeah. murdering all the... Booberry. Booberry. <laughs> Killed Booberry so hard, oh, no. nobody's ever heard of him. R.I.P. Al Franken. <laughs> uh, no, that's Frankenberry, my bad. There you go. But yeah, no, there there is there is a murderer in Venice yeah. killing people. And did you think that when they pulled the body out of the water first, I thought that was I thought that was Laura. Yeah, me too. Me too, because it should similar shape and everything. And, and maybe that's what caused him to worry. And he kind of stops and stares and watches this body come out. And yeah, he's probably already a little freaked out because he almost died. And now he's watching this corpse pulled out of the river that he he thinks this might be my wife. And then it comes out. and He's like, no, it's not. But, but still, that's a that's a rough that's a rough point in your day seeing a corpse pulled out of a river. But he does see his wife. He does see his wife because he's walking along and he catches a glimpse of her riding on a funeral uh, barge with the two sisters. Yeah, and it, it, it rolls by and goes behind a building and he's like, "Wait, what the fuck? Why is she here? I thought she left for for England." And he chases after the boat, but he can't catch up with it. And by the time he gets to where it is, it's not there. So he doesn't know what the fuck's going on. So he. He does the only thing he can think to do. He goes to the police station, talks to an inspector, says, hey, look, uh, I thought my wife was going to England. I saw her in town today. I don't know what the hell's going on. Uh, is there any way you can help me out with her? I think these two sisters are involved in some way. And he, like, gives her a picture of uh, of his girlfriend, or of his wife, rather, Laura, gives him and, and de describes them to the police artist um, and talks to the inspector. And the inspector doesn't really seem like he believes him at all, like, has any time for him. Uh... In fact, the inspector might even think he has something to do with the murders that have been happening. Well, and that's what I do have here. I yeah. do have a little clip of the scene because, yeah, it, you get the sense that, like... And the scene is framed very interestingly, too, because mm. you have... It's not like they're both in the shot. You have John, Donald Sutherland, on this couch, like at the other end of the room, mm. by himself. And on the other side of the room, you have the inspector behind a desk. So it's very, like... He's very isolated. Yeah. And I just want to play a little bit of this scene here. I do not understand... If she's in Venice, uh, surely she will get in touch with you. Yeah, if she can. What is it you fear? The killer on the loose, the murderer. My wife is not a well woman. Yes. Yes, I Of course. There must be more. No, no, there's nothing more. My wife got something from these two women, something that doctors couldn't give her, that I couldn't give her, 
something that she needed, so she went with them. Where? Where, I don't know. I, I, I was outside, by the inside, the pension, last night, where they lived. And today, when I went to, before I came here, I went to look for it. It's, it's vanished, I know. Um, okay, so I'm going to tell you something about this actor that sure. might blow your mind. So the guy that's playing the police captain, mm-hmm. he doesn't speak a word of English. Huh. So he was given these lines to memorize. He doesn't know what the fuck he's saying. It's all phonetic. It's all phonetic. Wow. And that's inc- that's all, all honestly incredible yeah. to me because I think he's giving a really good performance uh, for such a small character mm. because you can tell that he's suspicious. You can tell that he's like not completely buying into John's story. And for a guy that doesn't know what words he's saying, that's incredible. Yeah, that he's getting those across. Like, it doesn't sound like... Because I've heard people do that where they phonetically pronounce English words, and you can tell mm. that they're phonetically doing it because it just lacks, like, tone and, and structure and things like that. But yeah, no, he seems to be... He, he's very good at hiding the fact that he doesn't know anything what he's saying. Right, <laughs> and we go back to Gert Froby from Goldfinger, yeah. who also did that, but then was also dubbed. Yeah. So I think this is even more impressive in that this is the guy's voice, yeah. and he's just like... What words am I saying? Okay. Just tell me the sounds and I'll mouth them. Yeah. Wow. Neat. So the police officer isn't particularly receptive. uh, And so John decides he's going to have to go find the women himself. And they do send a tail after him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's following him around. Yeah. Uh, And he tries desperately to find them, but to no avail. Uh, And it turns out the police already picked them up. The sisters. Uh, Yeah, the sisters. Yes. And, like, everyone's acting like he's good. No, whatever. I'm not saying that. But... Everyone, every character that's not John is like slightly off. Yeah. Like I think intentionally to make you kind of wonder who's on the up and up. Uh. Like the sisters are a little off. Mm-hmm. Even Laura's a little off when oh, she yeah. calls him. Like she just everybody seems a little off kilter. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. And we pick up when Laura. Well, first of all, he catches another glimpse of a red clad figure, but he heads home and gets a call. It's from England. It's from the teacher at the at the college advising him of the condition or no he calls them yeah no he calls them yes he calls them because he wants to check calls in on the them from, of the from the church because from the church he yeah. goes to visit the priest yeah and uh he calls them and they're like oh uh, would you like to talk to your wife she's here and hands the phone over and there's laura she is in england and she reassures him that everything's cool and that they'll meet for dinner the next day when she gets back into town and he's like i i just saw i just saw you like in town yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So that means that he has to go back to the police station so to let them know that his wife is alive and fine and isn't in Venice. So he goes back, and while he's there letting them know what's up, he realizes they did pick up the sisters, and uh, Heather was there, and because he felt so bad about having them dragged into this for no reason, he offers to, to walk Heather home. Yeah. Uh, like you do for any good blind person. Yeah, and yeah. she does. And it's an interesting thing, too, is when he's walking her home, she remarks about something about, like, she like she's blind, yeah. And she says something about like how she loves living in Venice because the sounds are so distinct, mm. and she knows exactly where she is just based on the sounds. But then she says like Wendy, on the other hand, hates it for the same reasons. Like she because she can see what's going on. She sees the shadows. Because yeah. if you could see, it's kind of a creepy place it at is. night. Yeah, absolutely. But if you can hear, I could see how it'd be very easy to navigate. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting the comparison between the two. Absolutely. Uh, so. He takes her back home, but as he takes her home, as they walk in, she slips into a trance, and she starts going on 
uh, about like that he was in danger and he needs to leave or he needs to get out of Venice and he just makes up an excuse and nopes the fuck out of there. He doesn't want anything to do with that because it's weird and creepy. Uh, Heather comes out and pleads with Wendy that, that you've got to catch up with him, that he's in true, real danger. Uh, and she doesn't, so she does go after him, but she doesn't catch with him and instead meets up with Laura, who had just got back into town by this point because I think this is the next day. I know, I believe it's the same night, because she comes back shortly after, because she goes to the police station at first, remember? Yeah. And John's already gone from there, so then she goes to the I mean, sister's the house. the day after, she he talked to her on the phone, I think. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Or that night or something, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Long enough for a flight between England and Italy. Which is 23 hours. Sure, I mean, if you're going the other way around, yes. Yeah. Well, how else would you get there? <laughs> so, uh, Wendy doesn't catch up to John, but meets up with Laura, and her warning prompts Laura to go after John. John, meanwhile, spots that red figure again, and he just can't get it out of his head, and this time decides he's going to fucking chase after it. So he follows this figure, follows it, and then they walk through a gate, and he goes into, like, a back alleyway, and... He believes it's Christine. He thinks it's Christine, Because yeah. of the thing they said earlier about Christine warning them. Yeah. And he says, oh, this must be Christine. Yeah. If, if they're, this is what they're telling me is Their true. Daughter, this yeah. mumbo-jumbo is real, and this person's wearing a red Mac, and then, like... Goes up to this figure and grabs him on the shoulder and turns them around and it's a dwarf. It's an ugly dwarf. A real rough looking dwarf. And that real rough, uh, rough looking dwarf raises a big fat, fat fucking knife and slices John on the neck. And blood starts shooting out and pouring everywhere. And John falls down to the ground and starts seeing flashes of everything that he's seen before. His past, his life, and realizing that... Uh, in that moment as he dies, that everything he had seen had been some sort of a premonition of the future and that he had seen uh, a premonition of his own death in those visions. And as he dies, uh, Laura runs up and all she could see is his feet kind of sticking out there through the gate because the gate is locked and she, you know, she's yelling or whatever. And then we fade out and then it comes back in. And as the movie ends, we see Laura and both sisters on the front of a funeral barge riding through the river. Which he Which is what had he had an seen image earlier. of earlier. Yeah. What set him off on all this, and then the credits roll. Yeah. And it is a very unsettling movie that ends in a very intense way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow! Yeah, this is a... Uh, I'm gonna... Yeah. I'm, I'll, I'll, wait, I'll wait. I'll wait to get into it, but... Um, let's get some background on this movie. Sure. Um, because this was Nicholas Rogue's follow-up to... I Yeah, so this is this other movie on the list. is called Performance, mm-hmm. which stars Mick Jagger, by the huh. way. So that's coming up. <laughs> this is crazy. The fact that this movie has... a main, One of its main themes is about a drowning of a child, right? Mm-hmm. Do you know who we had in mind for the original couple in this movie? Uh, for actors? Was one of them... No, I don't... Robert Wagner and Natalie Wood. Huh. Wouldn't that have talk been... about premonitions? Yeah, right. Yeah, I think Nicholas Rogue has been having some premonitions. So he had them in mind, but he did. He always wanted to cast Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland. Mm-hmm. Christie really liked Nicholas Rogue because he was actually a cinematographer on Far from the Madding Crowd, okay. which we haven't covered yet. Whereas Sutherland had some issue with the, the script because he didn't like the idea that they presented psychics. Uh, depicting all these... It's basically that the movie is depicting all these horrible things stemming from psychics, mm. rather than he wanted it to be more educative yeah. about psychics, which I'm like... I mean, all respect, Donald. That's not this what this movie no. is. <laughs> so, uh, there's other, little things in the movie that were... Uh, like, the funeral scene we see at the end of the film was played originally very differently from what we saw. What we saw. Mm-hmm. 
she was Julie Christie was originally supposed to wear a veil to hide her face, but Rogues, uh, the director said you should play without the veil, and I think you should smile. <laughs> and she said, "Well, that's odd. Why do you want me to smile?" And he says, "It would make sense for the character to be." It would not make sense for the character to be heartbroken if she truly believed that her husband and her daughter were together in the afterlife. Yeah. Because if she believes in this whole thing where Christine is okay, yeah, wherever she there. is, she's not going to be like, you know, beaming with joy, but just She's not going to be happy, as, satisfied. as broken up because she's like, well, they're together at least. Yeah, it's kind of like he could never kind of get over it and now he's with her. Yeah. Rogue was heavily inspired by Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. So particularly in the moment we talked about where Laura's scream cuts into the sound of a drill. Yeah. Uh, this is actually inspired by, like I said, we, we say I know I say this a lot, but another movie on this list, The 39 Steps. Yes, great movie. We haven't covered Hitchcock no. yet, where a woman's scream in that movie transitions into a train whistle. Mm-hmm. There's also the whole aspect in this movie of an innocent man being pursued for a crime he didn't commit. That's a big Hitchcock staple, oh, yeah. when John is being followed by the police late in the movie. And I hadn't even thought of this, but I saw this on a website. The movie goes out of its way to make the women better at expressing themselves than the men. Mm-hmm. Like... Even, this happens obviously with the psychic, Laura being the one that takes care of the situation with their son. Yeah. And even when the headmaster calls, and do you remember the scene where the headmaster calls about their son? He can't quite articulate it. And he hands it off. Yeah, yeah. and his like his wife just takes the phone and she's like, I got this, honey. Yeah. Like that's like a reoccurring theme in this movie. This mm-hmm. movie's like for nineteen seventy three. It's pretty fucking progressive. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, I mean, it's ahead, a, of its, ahead of its time. I mean, I guess like 70s mentality. We were in that era yeah. of like, you know, starting to move in the right direction in that in that sense. Of course, we talked about the sex scene. That is a, a very famous, mm. infamous yeah. scene in this movie. Controversial at the time. Very controversial. A British tabloid newspaper uh, observed at the time, quote, one of the frankest love scenes ever to be filmed is likely to plunge lovely Julie Christie into the biggest censorship row since Last Tango in Paris. Ow, wow. That did not happen, thankfully. Uh, and I, uh, Donald Sutherland, as far as I could tell, did not fuck her in the ass. <laughs> With butter. With butter. The scene, this scene was obviously unusually graphic for, for the period, mm. including a rare depiction of cunnilingus in a mainstream film. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Even now that doesn't happen all that often. Christy actually commented at the time, she said, she said, quite frankly, back in the day, people didn't do scenes like that. So they were difficult to film because we didn't have examples to go by. <laughs> we didn't have like a role model scene to. So kind what of... you're saying is that is that Nicholas Rogue, Julie Christie, and Donald Sutherland wrote the book on hot, steamy sex scenes in mainstream feature films. Yes. Awesome. Kind of. <laughs> she said there were no available examples, no role models to go by. She said I just went blank, and Nicholas Rogue shouted instructions. Uh, the scene obviously caused problems with censors on both sides of the, of mm. the Atlantic. The American censor basically said... Said it was too sexy, and the European <laughs> said, we don't see enough. Oh, the European censors were pretty tough at that time. <laughs> but the American censor said, we cannot see humping, and we cannot see the rise and fall between thighs. That was the exact quote. Very specific. <laughs> the, the scene uh, the scene kind of having like a fragmented editing style was partly to accommodate the concerns of the censors. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also said, like, they the censors scrutinized it eventually when they had the final cut of it mm-hmm. and found absolutely nothing they could object to. If someone goes up, you cut. And the next time you see them, they're in a different position. You obviously fill in the gaps for yourself. Yeah. But technically speaking, there was no, quote-unquote, humping in that scene. In the end, apparently, Nicholas Rogue only cut nine frames from the sequence. Huh. And uh, the film was awarded an R rating in the U.S. Nice. Uh and even in Britain, the Board of Film Classification said the uncut version of the scene was tasteful and integral to the plot. And 
a scene which in which Donald Sutherland's character is performing, you know, cunnilingus on Julie Christie's character was permitted, but in Brit- Britain it was still given an X rating, basically an adults only certificate, yeah. not not a porno. But no, here's another thing too. The intimacy of this scene led to rumors that have persisted for many years that Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland, in fact, had unsimulated sex. Well, it sure looks like it, because because if it if it was simulated, their genitals are very close together in those scenes. <laughs> Julie Christie was seeing was dating Warren Beatty at the time, oh. and uh. Warren Beatty flew to London and demanded that the sex scene be cut from the movie. Ha, what these, an asshole. There's, there's, now, these were rumors at the time that he did this, but the rumors were seemingly confirmed in 2011 by uh, a Paramount executive at the time who said that uh, on the day the scene was filmed, he could clearly see Sutherland's penis, and I quote, moving in and out of Christie. <laughs> he also said that Warren Beatty definitely did show up and say, you know, complain about what he thought he basically Warren Beatty thought that the director was exploiting Julie Christie, uh, and I mean he probably obviously had his own. If, if she hadn't got exploited on Darling, I think she was fine. I think she knew what she was doing. And right I think Warren Beatty has his own reasons. Warren Beatty oh. doesn't exactly have a reputation no. of being, you know, it's not exactly fucking the most... women's lib. Well, I mean, <laughs> and and that's real rich of Warren Beatty to go and Julie Christie be like, you can't be fucking around. It's like you're Warren Beatty. That's all you do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I believe there is an entire entire Carly Simon song about yeah. you, sir. Yeah. If you believe the the rumors. I think she's right. (laughs) Sutherland finally, I guess, uh, issued a statement to his publicist saying, the claims are not true, we didn't have unsimulated sex, and the guy that says that we did was not even there on the day we filmed the movie. The movie's producer corroborated Sutherland's account and said that the sex was entirely simulated. So but at the end of the day, what does it even yeah. matter? If, if, if they say no and, and we don't know if it happened? Yeah. I think that's just him, you know. Yeah. If it did, he doesn't want that out there. I mean, and if hey, it didn't, he wants people to know that it didn't. If it did, I mean, it's 2019, Julie Christie. Tell us. <laughs> tell us before you die. We well, want to know. maybe we'll have to have her on the show and ask her. Yeah, we will. Absolutely. Jason, we are going to take a brief break. We are going to do. Uh, we are going to talk about a sponsor of ours, All right. and we'll be right back. Right back. Podcoin. Podcoin. It's the app that lets you listen to podcasts podcasts all the time every day in the way in your house on the street in the store at the beach and you get paid in pod coins spend those pod coins on stuff you want or charity and if you sign up today that's today and use the promo code ScreenPod. You get something else, but what is it? You get 300 pod coins. That's 300 coins. Just for signing up. So get in your app, get in your browser, get on your PC, and sign up today, and then download it on your phone. Podcoin. It'll pay you to listen to podcasts. We're back. Woo. A dinosaur story. 72 minutes! Woo! Yeah! That's weird. Yeah. I don't know why I remember that, but there you go. This movie, I'm going to do a little deep dive. All right. Do a little deep dive on Don't Look Number one, this movie is longer than 72 minutes. Thankfully. Mm. I think it would be (laughs) tough to fit all this in 72 (laughs) minutes. So, I want to talk about the first scene, the opening scene. Yeah. Now, when it starts, 
when you see Christine kind of running around in a rain jacket, there's like a horse and everything. Mm-hmm. Everything's very brightly lit. It almost seemed like I know I know I said this word enough times last week, but it also almost seemed otherworldly. Like yeah. it seemed like it was like heavenly almost. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just like you know to to. Uh, uh, differentiate between the horror that's about to happen and that she is drowned. She drowns in the in the lake. I got it feeling like kind of that Lynchian unsettling. Like I'm, I mean, obviously, I don't want to compare it to like Eraserhead, but in that vein of like it's like the sound design as well as the images that really contributes to the the kind of like weird feeling you get watching this opening scene. I I would stand by that David Lynch has definitely seen this movie. Yeah. Oh no, there's no like, way there are so many yeah. things in this movie that is like, that is very Lynchian. Mm-hmm. And, and this is 1973. Yeah. This is before a so, lot of his movies. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is probably when he was still in film movies? school. Like, especially later movies like Mahal and drive and stuff. Like there's mm-hmm. stuff in this movie that definitely makes its way into that, especially the editing style. Yeah. So watching this after knowing the twist, mm-hmm. Is really interesting. Um, especially how they deal with John, like not knowing about his psychic gift. Yeah. Even though it's kind of like overtaking him in the opening scene. You know, obviously, something's off. Because he just goes blank, runs outside, sees his daughter, has drowned in the pool, in the lake. By the way, um, the ball that she's that she throws in the lake mm-hmm. and can't get out that for, uh, that causes her to fall. Yeah. That ball makes a reappearance later. Yeah, Julie Christie sees it in the closet and picks it up and just has this look at the smile on her face. Also, it's also in the scene where she's in the hospital. Yeah. And she sees the children in the other room. The boy who she's like making faces at and stuff is playing with that same ball. Oh wow! Huh. So, is that Christine like in that child? Is that what they're trying to say? Is that, like, or is that a sign that speaking she's through there, the kid that she's around? That there's a ball that resembles the ball that she loved, and that's enough to be like she's here with us right now. Yeah, it's just, like kind of a cool visual yeah. clue. Also, what hospital room puts you in a room where you get to watch the kids play? Like that—that that A sounds very luxurious, and B kind of creepy. I think they said something like it was the closest hospital or oh, something. I think okay. there was like a, it was only Did you take like her to a children's, children's hospital. hospital. Yeah, but yeah, and there's lots of uh, examples of the psychic abilities thing. I mean, I think we talked about a lot of them. The sex scene obviously yeah. was one. Uh, the the funeral barge obviously is the biggest, most obvious one. The opening scene, but I think even like the scene in the restaurant where he says, "Oh, it's cold in here. I'm going to close the doors." Because it's almost like he does that too early. Yeah. Right. You'd think he. Yeah, he's, he's reacting. He gets cold to, before the door blows. Before open. Before the door blows open, and and like you know that uh, one of the sisters gets something in her eye. Mm. Yeah, it's like you don't think much of it at first, but then when you think well, back even, to it, it's and like, even a little thing, like even when he's in the church and he's looking at the the new pebble or like the new mosaic pebble of pebbles, he's like, yeah, those look just about perfect. Like those, yeah, like maybe that's a premonition. It's yeah. a smaller one, but well, maybe yeah, yeah, and and, and he gets up there and he's looking at him, he's like, oh yeah. I also like weird little things that that at more misdirection is when he's climbing that scaffold, mm. and you see like one of the sisters' faces in the in the glass for mm. like a second, laughing. Like that threw me. I was like, wait, what? There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of reoccurring uh, red, yeah. obviously, oh, like yeah. we talked about. But there's also a lot of like water. Like obviously they're in Venice, so there's water everywhere. But they're like they're, like even when Julie Christie's character faints, she has a water glass. You can hear the water falling mm-hmm. out of her glass. There's like. You know, there's there's the water constantly. They're always being reminded of the lake. They brush their teeth and use water to do it. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, he even finds a doll. Do you remember yeah. the scene where he finds like a little doll mm-hmm. in the water? Like, is that real? Yeah. I don't know. Not is nearly it... as cool as the doll that his daughter had, which was like a Barbie that was a wartime Barbie that had a gas mask and a uniform up top and a dress on the bottom. I don't even remember. That. Yeah, no, and 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 you you would pull the string and she kept saying like weirdly like. 
like get to the shelter or like crazy world war stuff there's um there's some weird uh foreshadowing it's very quick but it's in the background there's just a sign that says venice in peril yeah huh it's just right there in the background and i don't know if it's like a, a newspaper headline but it's obviously not meant for you to like your focus yeah, on I it. I think, see it. I think a lesser director would be like a close-up yeah. of it, right? It'd be like, dun, dun, dun. It'd be like a close-up, and then it would pan from left to right across the headline, so you could read the whole headline. And then a narrator would read it. Venice in peril. March on the news. Or ba, 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 ba. The other, okay, so the other big misdirect, obviously, is the, the person he thinks is his daughter running around in the mm-hmm. red. And I think what's interesting about that is when he first sees her... We don't see anybody else see her. Yeah. So we think, oh, he definitely sees Christine. Well, I Some mean, image of Christine running around. Yeah, it's like clearly the, it's, the thought was it's in his head because there was also a similar, like, again, early in the movie when he's looking at the Polaroids of the church, you can see a red figure sitting in one of the pews. And, and the red, like, like, runs. Yeah, and the red runs in the photo. And you're like, okay, so clearly he must just be, like, pulling from his own mind at this point. He's, he's seeing things. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, and it's also like there's kind of a symbolism there with him running after her. As I say, he's like chasing his, he's like not letting his grief go, mm. or not letting his like not letting her go. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's not dealing with it. No, exactly. He's and he even he even like the biggest thing of them all is when he catches up to her in the end. He even locks the gate behind him. Like mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna get her. Like I'm gonna find out who this is. I'm gonna find out what she wants or whatever. Mm. Um, there's even red like there's even red in scenes like where he's putting up. I don't know if you remember the scene where he's putting up a statue. And he's like, oh, we got to rotate it, we got to rotate it. That looks terrifying, by the yeah. way. The way he's hanging onto that ladder. Like, I'm sorry, no. <laughs> he's got, like, one leg on the ladder, one leg on the on the side of the church, like yeah. like a crazy man. But there's even, like, little red stains on the statue. Like, mm. not, like, super prominent, but it's there. Yeah. Uh, there's even, a, there's even like, a kind of a foreshadowing to his death, I think, because when he's waiting in the cafe for Laura, which is having the seance, he almost looks ghostly through the window. So, I mean, I guess the last thing I want to say about the, like, just kind of a deep, deeper dive of this movie mm. is that I think a lot of the movie he's telling Laura she has to deal with it, their daughter's dead, deal with this, grief, you gotta grieve, etc., etc. I think that's him trying to convince himself. Mm. I don't think that he, I don't think he, because she is, like, once she talks to the sisters, she is perfectly happy. She's, like, content yeah. that she knows or that she thinks that Christine's in a better place and that she's actually okay. Yeah. And I think John being like, no, our daughter's dead. Like, she's dead. She can't give us messages. She's gone. Is, like, I think he's trying to convince himself. Yeah. Especially because he, like, he see if he, if he doesn't believe in any of that, then why is he chasing yeah. this girl in a red jacket? Yeah, exactly. Like, he you know must, I mean? he must have some little bit of hope in the back of his head. Exactly. Or even just curiosity to find out what the fuck this thing is that he keeps seeing. Before we get into uh, kind of the critique of this movie, from the Oscars, BAFTAs, whatever, and then, like, you know, obviously our thoughts on the movie. Is there anything else from the movie you wanted to mention? Uh, uh, I just, no, just to say that it, it's a it's a fascinating movie, and I'm glad I watched it. And, and uh, Suspiria, we'll mention it, Suspiria. Well, I, I mentioned that it made me feel the same way I felt about Suspiria where I watched it, where I, I was done, and I'm like, I just don't know how I felt about that, necessarily. But at the same time, I can recognize that it is a very well-made movie. Suspiria was, too. Um, I don't think the ending is, is quite as, huh, as Suspiria, and this has enough yeah. of a, huh, ending anyways. But, 
Uh, yeah, no, and it's it's one of those movies that is probably worth multiple watches to really appreciate it for what it is. It's it's definitely all about tone and look and and un, feeling unsettled and you know it, it's horror in the in, in the traditional sense of the just of just like. I would definitely say yeah. it's a horror film. Yeah, it's not an in your it's not an in your face jump scare fest no. or anything, but it's not a slash. It's more of a hereditary than a some, scream. There's some quiet terror in this movie. Yeah, it's um, but I mean, and then yeah, the revelation that that that, I mean, the dwarf yeah. was the that was the the killer, the serial killer that was mentioned the throughout the movie. Yeah. So I mean, this doesn't this thing doesn't go to the Oscars. No, no technical awards or anything like hmm. that because reception at the time for this movie while it was positive it's one of those movies that has garnered more of a, a better reputation throughout the years yeah more people have seen it over the years i'm sure it was a hard movie to see in 1973 yeah you couldn't just go on the pirate bay yeah exactly uh or you know i don't want to name anymore mini nova supernova we're going back in time 15 20 years lime now. wire yeah, that's right download it right share. off e-donkey uh with the napster with those music yeah but no oscars but however we do go to the BAFTAs. Mm-hmm. Uh, nominated for Best Film. Yeah. Uh, best Actor for Donald Sutherland. Best Actress for Julie Christie. Best Editing. Best Sound and Best Direction. Those are the nominations. It wins... Editing, Sound, and Direction. Only No, no. Those are just nominations. Oh. It doesn't win for any of those, but oh. it does win for Best Cinematography. And it is a beautiful looking movie. It is I, a really gritty 70s feel to surprised it. Surprised it doesn't get the editing award. Yeah. Honestly surprised. Yeah. So... Like I said, contemporary reviews of the movie were positive, but there were a lot of there was a quote here that came up a lot. Arty and mechanical hmm. was uh, a thing. Um, however, even like even some of the negative reviews at the time were still saying like Nicholas Rogue's direction was amazing and groundbreaking, hmm. and that Christie and Sutherland uh, got massive praise for their performances. I think they're both very good. Uh, a lot of people said Christie Christie's the best performance, but her best performance in years. Uh, and that Sutherland was being his most subdued performance yeah. in a long time. And a lot of critics also praised the location and said that uh, never before has Venice been used this well. Not until, of course, you know, as we all know, The Tourist starring Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie. Hmm. It's not yeah. Good, it's not <laughs> this film will go on to influence so many people. Danny Boyle. Mm-hmm. There is a reference in the movie Casino Royale. The huh. Daniel Craig one. When there there's a scene where Bond is pursuing a woman through Venice and yeah. she's wearing all red. Huh. Wow. Uh they're even in Flatliners, Kiefer Sutherland, mm. whoa, whoa dude. is terrorized by a childlike figure in a red coat. Hmm. And then in Schindler's List, the little girl is, that we see yes. is wearing red. That is a reference to Don't Look Absolutely. Now. Absolutely. I hope so. That'd, Maybe that'd be great, yeah. You know what? I feel like Spielberg's definitely seen this movie. Oh, there's no no question in my mind. The editing of the sex scene was even sort of duplicated in uh, Steven Soderbergh's movie Out of Sight with George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez. Is it that steamy in Out of Sight? No, just the editing style. Oh, okay. Like <laughs> the the cutting between them, you know, doing their thing yeah. and getting dressed. Hmm. So I think in that movie George Clooney also has precognition. Uh, uh, yeah. A red dwarf uh, murders him. Oh yeah, obviously. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh fuck. I had this in my notes, yeah. and I totally forgot. You just mentioned it. Other people who confirmed that portions of the film influenced them were Spielberg for Schindler's oh. List. Oh, okay, yeah. So awesome. that's legitimate. Cool. Yeah, good call. <laughs> uh, Christopher Nolan said parts of uh, Memento was mm-hmm. inspired by parts of the movie. 
and even really even recent like mainstream Hollywood movies like Snow White and the Huntsman. Yes, the fucking movie with uh, Chris Hemsworth and Chris Kristen Bell. Yeah, no, no, Kristen uh, Kristen Stewart. Stewart. Yeah. yeah, I wish Kristen Bell was in it. Oh, I love Kristen Bell. <laughs> She's wonderful. But yeah, that's I think that's crazy. Like <laughs> from Schindler's List to Snow White and the Huntsman, this yeah. it covered a lot of ground. A movie that that probably few people have heard of because I know I had never heard of this movie until we uh, until it came up on this list. Yeah, you know. and I think the only reason I first watched it was it was one of those movies that came up as just like, oh, Donald Sutherland's in this movie, it's a horror movie from the 70s, and it has really high critical praise, and I'm like, oh, cool, I kind of want to see this. And, you know, and there the it was history. Um, so I will, I will wrap this up by saying this movie is number eight. Mm-hmm. It's not the highest one, almost. Kess is one Kess higher. Kess is one higher. But I had seen it once before, but did honestly, before I watched this for this show, the only thing I remembered was the dwarf and the crazy sex scene. Mm-hmm. Having revisited it now, I remembered how this movie is very, like, this movie is expertly crafted. Uh, it's very innovative as a horror movie. So the frantic editing style, the erratic characters, and the fact that it's so influential, I think, makes, mm. makes it so that it should be pretty high up this list, I believe. Yeah. And I think it's... I, I just want to finish up by saying this film is incredibly unique and will always haunt me for the rest of my life in the best way. Well, there you go. You can't get a much better endorsement than that, folks. Do you have anything else to say? I will say watch it. Okay. Watch it. It's a worth a watch. It's, and it is a fascinating film. It's a crazy movie. It's prime crazy... Donald Sutherland, prime Julie Christie. And I will say, Jason, that if you ever get the inkling, if you ever get that janklin' in your jankles... Mm-hmm. As they say. Which I often do. Yeah, the j- your jangle and starts jangle. What the fuck am I, I got the jingle about? in my jangle. Jingle in your jangle. And you ever want to uh, just sit back and, you know, I'd give this a second watch. Yeah. Knowing what happens. I feel like happens, it's do it. Yeah. yeah, knowing what happens in the movie. By the way, spoiler alert, but obviously. <laughs> uh, knowing what happens in the movie, watching it a second time is, like, even better. It's like watching Fight Club. You get to pick out all the clues. Exactly. Or, like, The Sixth Sense. Yeah. Sixth Sense is a great movie to watch twice. But, yeah. So... Having covered this movie, mm-hmm. this is one of our shorter episodes, I think, yeah. in quite a while. But I think we said a lot in the time we had. It's been a long the, day. The plot, it's <laughs> been a long day. But the plot, I mean, the plot is, when you break it down, it's fairly straightforward. Mm-hmm. But there's just a lot going on. Yeah. yeah. Like I say, it's, it's, less about the, it's less about the plot and characters and more about the tone of it all and the feelings that it and, generates. Yeah, and the yeah. style and the, the, style. The, the, the talent behind it. Mm-hmm. So, we're ready to move on. We are. We're ready to, to roll that dice. To put our our fates yet again in the hands of the random number gods. Yes. Roll me something fun. Ooh. Roll, roll me, me something. How you like it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Thanks, man. You got my back. Yeah, sure. I'm here for you, bro. You're my improv partner. <laughs> Jason's No, <nickname>. but. <laughs> Shit. I was just going to give you praise and say your nickname was Yes And. <laughs> No, it's not. It's Jimmy, and I'm a secret agent. God. Agent Michael Skarn. That's right. <laughs> what are we doing, Jason? What are we doing? We are rolling dice. We got to figure out what movie we got to watch next, and we don't trust each other to pick, so we put that choice in the hands of the dice. We don't trust each other to pick. No, no. It's like it's like when you uh, uh, have a cupcake you want to cut in half. You can't trust either of them. I don't know if that's... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't quite understand that analogy, but... <laughs> Yeah, like you get two kids and they want to each have a half of the cupcake and you let one of them cut it. You can't do that because you know what's going to happen? He's going to stab the other kid. Oh. 
and just take it all. I, I mean, I guess so. Yeah. No, that's fact. So I guess what I'll do is I'll roll the dice and I'm going to land on a number. Mm-hmm. And whatever that number is, that is the number on the BFI Top 100 list that we will cover next week. Exactly. So are you uh, are you nervous? No. I'm feeling pretty good. Okay. I just hope we get something a little lighter than this week. Yeah. I mean, this wasn't like... I mean, this is heavy, but yeah. it wasn't like slow heavy. No, no, it's fine. But here we go. Punch it, Chewy. We've got 67. 67. Next week's movie is 1986's Mona Lisa, directed by Neil Jordan. Ooh, Neil Jordan also directed The Crying Game. Oh. And Mona Lisa is a film starring uh, Sir Bob Hoskins. Oh, awesome. That's right. I think I've heard of that movie. Yeah. yeah I love he's Bob a, Hoskins. He's some sort of gangster figure. Sweet. I'm stoked. We're kind of sticking with a modern kind of vibe this uh this portion of our podcast because yep. I mean we've done Local Heroes 1983 mm-hmm. Don't Look Now 1973 yep. but still like you know and then this one's 1986 yep. so we haven't really hit any older ones in a while we we, we had our run of costume dramas and period dramas yeah and now we're getting, well, I getting feel like, gritty shit I modern feel like shit now we're gonna get like 10 40s movies in yep. a row <laughs> probably <laughs> but I mean the 60s are the most dominant decade on this list yep. so we haven't even cracked that yet but yeah, oh, that's cool. All Mona right. Lisa. It's like a gangster drama, I cool. think. I like those. Bob Hoskins and others. I don't know. We'll find out oh, next We'll week. find out. I want to know what crazy British insane gangsters are in this movie. That's right. But until then, Jason, we are on Twitter. And after that point, we are also on Twitter. Yes. We are at BFI underscore pod. And you can find me, myself, at Jason D. McLeod, that's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Follow me for fun times. Where he usually just uh, live tweets, um, you know, reruns of Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping it's, on HBO. It's a really good movie. And you know what? I like I like noting all the edits they make for TV. Yeah, all the edits they make for TV on HBO. For TV on HBO. Well, because HBO has Sesame Street now, right? So if they run that after Sesame Street, they got to cut it down a lot. I, uh, it's I, actually only about 25 minutes, but it's still pretty good. I would love to see an HBO version of Sesame Street. It, it, that's what it is now. They own it. No, no, I want to see an oh, HBO you, you want, version. Oh, you want James Gandolfini to come back from the dead and be on Sesame Street. Yeah, I want Elmo putting a hit out on like Big Bird. Nice. nice. Snuffy. Snuff him out, that's Snuffy. Right. <laughs> but with all that being said, Jason. Brandon. God save the queen. God save the screen. And for screening country. I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Don't look now!
Hey, this is Liz. And this is Heather. And we are Nerdy Bitches Podcast. A show where two geeky ladies podcast their way through pop culture. From movies and TV to our regular book club and everything in between, we bring you our favorite fandoms with a feminine eye. We're talking Star Wars, Star Trek, Harry Potter, DC Marvel, comic books, and anime. And don't forget sci-fi, fantasy, action movies, video games, D&D, board games, and so much more. Be sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbeam, or wherever you find awesome podcast. You can also find us hanging out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and at nerdybitches.com. Talk to you soon. Hi guys, we interrupt your favorite podcast to interrupt you with an ad for your new favorite podcast. Wait, wait, isn't this playing on somebody else's show? Exactly. So then how are we, I thought we were their new favorite podcast. Well, we're going to become their new favorite podcast after they hear this advertisement for our show. What's our show called, Justine? Superiority Complex. Yeah. Where can they find us, Patrick? Uh, Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, exactly. You can go to at Soup Complex on Twitter, S-O-U-P Complex. And you can go to Facebook.com slash Soup Complex. But our main page is on Podbean. And you can find us there at www.superioritycomplex.podbean.com. New episodes are out every Thursday. Justine, what do we talk about on the Superiority Complex? Nerdy stuff. Perfect. Don't get all sensual with your voice. Yeah, did you hear that? I heard it. It's a little inappropriate. If you want to hear a little more of that, tune in to the Superiority Complex. One more time, Justine, what do we talk about? Nerdy stuff. Nah, wasn't no. the same. You tried. <laughs> <laughs>